Okay, g'day. I rushed it. It literally just said Sparky's turn up to do more, uh, probably more Shelleys, more IoT, more stuff. What are we doing today? There's always a list. It's everything from like switches which still don't have covers on them because Clipsal and Saturn's and there's another story. Don't get me started on that. Uh, through to some Shelleys that have got to go into other places. I've got some Shelleys that are overheating. I've got a post about this actually. I've got a couple of Shelly dimmers that are on a transformer for LED strips that have gone into the garage. And as soon as you're at like part brightness, not 100% brightness, the temperature just goes up to like 100 degrees and it goes into like overheat mode and the whole thing shuts down. It's 100 degrees Celsius too. So it's like, I don't want that in my wall at 100 degrees. Got to work that out. Uh, another camera going up. We'll talk about cameras actually in this uh, this video today because <laughs> I want to talk about the real estate agent stuff. Lots happening. Stefan's here. G'day, Stefan. Good morning. Stefan of Have I Been Pwned fame. <laughs> we'll talk about some of the stuff we're doing a bit later. Brendan's here. Uh, the stuff you gave me the other day, Brendan, was great. And in, in all seriousness, like, DM me your, uh, your your address. I want to send you some, some stickers <laughs> and some logos because it's been really, really super helpful. Thank God it's Friday. Very true. Christians in the land of the Vikings. I'm going to be heading back to the land of the Vikings next month, heading in that direction next month in the land of the Vikings in September and then again in January and then again, I think, in June. So lots of, lots of Norway stuff in our schedule at the moment. Wayne and Ben are here. Oh. Mm. Now, let me, uh, let me do the formalities bits first. Where am I? I've got to tweet that there. I've got to go here. I feel like I'm a little bit behind the eight ball today because I came up to my PC, which runs 24-7 and has done for years, <laughs> and I've gotten away with it so far, and it wasn't working. So I got that started, and then Home Assistant wasn't working. So I'll talk more about Home Assistant a little bit later. Sponsor first, Collide is this week's sponsor again. Massive sponsor this year and last, Collide. Collide ensures that if a device is insecure, it can't access your apps. It's Device Trust for Okta. Watch the demo today. Uh, now, Clyde has been very good at doing the zero trust thing across all of the different platforms. They've been a rate sponsor for, for this year. Current state of endpoint security is why solutions like MDM fall short. Clyde Device Trust, interest with Okta to ensure that if the device is secure, it can't access your apps, go and get a demo. Solve the IT bottleneck. Doesn't create an IT bottleneck. Uh, and used by all of these people with logos here. Wow, I think some of them have been in data breaches too. Not because of Collide. <laughs> Not because of Collide. <laughs> Maybe they got Collide after the data breach because they saw the light. So big thanks to those folks. And uh, that really helps me sit here and, again, feel like I'm playing catch-up this morning. I'm also cooking a brisket. <laughs> again, unrelated news. I tweeted that. Looks really, really good. That's uh, Yeah, that's going to be something that we can all enjoy smelling all day. Well, you can't, but yeah, for us. Wayne says, when energy costs went high, I started running my, I started turning my PC off. Um, I mean, I could put it to sleep. I guess my problem is like working from home, I come and go in and out of here so much uh, at all hours, right? So I, like I, I could put it to sleep before I go to bed. I'm not sure it's actually using that much energy though. In fact, I do have a power, uh, a power monitor on that plug. 
So I could find out, but I have a feeling that the PC running, particularly when the screens like the screens do go into like sleep mode, I'm not sure I'm actually using that much. You know, it kills the power here, other than air conditioning. Air conditioning is is a massive one, which which we use a lot less of since we got the ceiling fans. What really smashes my power is the pool pump, <laughs> like it belts through the power. I had a tweet thread about this many many months ago, uh, and in fact, I have started adding like power monitoring things to Home Assistant. Just to try and get a sense of it. When I get uh, when I get recovered, when I get recovered, when I recover from all of this renovation work, solar is on the list. And now, of course, we're in a place where we have a lot of solar here, so I would like to get some solar. So uh, maybe we're paying the energy companies a little bit less money for all that. Uh, so Wayne worked out it was around thirty pounds a month. Yeah. See, the, the problem is, like, let's say I could save 30 pounds a month. Then you start rationalizing it and you're like, well, that's actually one pound a day. And then how much does it cost me to, like, sit down and wait for everything to boot up and not just be able to, like, do stuff for me? <laughs> Slippery slope. Brandon says, on, uh, on the note of fully online machines, my laptop was once hibernating overnight because in my room, but that only worked because of some setting in the BIOS stopping it from powering back up. Seven says, your PC has good drives and supports S3 sleep. You should hardly notice it resuming from sleep. It's great when it works, horrible when it's unstable. Yeah, I should look at that, shouldn't I? Mm. Anyway, where were we? <laughs> what, was, what was on the list there? What did I tweet? Where am I? What day is it? Uh, presentation mode and real estate agent mode. Now, I got a surprisingly large amount of positive feedback from my tweet about real estate agents. Not so much about positivity of real estate agents, but because of what I was doing with them. And I, and I want to throw some ideas around here because I have had some more thoughts since I tweeted this. So to scroll back a little bit, uh, some people have asked if this is an Australian thing. I don't know if it's an Australian thing or if it's a this area thing, but on a very regular basis, let's call it weekly, a real estate agent will knock on the door and want to talk about the value of your house. Now, I feel like part of this was because during COVID, like prices went a little bit stupid and everything inflated very, very quickly. Uh, and I also feel part of it is because agents tend to be a bit scummy. <laughs> I don't know how it is in your neck of the woods, but they're always wanting to sort of do deals and everything. Uh, and it's, it's an area here where there have been some very robust sales prices lately. The one literally just over the road here sold on the weekend for a, a robust price. And I wonder if that prompted the agent who turned up at our place yesterday. But it's it, it's just the regular, it's either knocking on the door or regular phone calls or the pamphlets in the letterbox. Uh, your buyers are looking for properties in your area. We've got people willing to pay top dollar right now for your, and, and particularly at a time where we have invested so much into making this place so wonderful for us for a very, very long term. I do not have the patience. At the best times, we know the patience, let alone when I continue to get spam and all sorts of other rubbish online. The last thing I want is someone doing it actually in person as well. And the thing that really pisses me off is like, I am sitting here doing cyber and the doorbell rings. And so, all right, well, it might be a package. We get a lot of stuff delivered. So I should stop this and I should go down and answer it. And it's one of these people. So... The idea was how can I mess with them the most? Now, Charlotte and I were, in fact, we were out having a coffee with another sponsor earlier this year. 
and the ubiquity doorbell rings and the, the phone pops up an image and it was a Saturday. I remember this and it was a Saturday and we're looking at the image with these folks and as soon as you looked at it, it's like, I know what these people are selling. It's not real estate. It is going to be the word of God for sure. <laughs> like it's, you just, you don't normally have like an elderly couple with hats knocking on your door on a Saturday morning for any other reason. It's like, this is what it would be. We weren't home. They disappeared. And I said, well, you know what we should do? We should have the doorbell talk enough to get them to tell us what they're there for. Then when we decide we don't want to answer it anyway, at least we get a, a response as to why they were there. So a little bit of home assistant magic. We've got a, a Ubiquiti G4 Pro doorbell. There is a Unify integration into Home Assistant. It can give you everything from a live stream of the of the video through to raising events, raising motion events, raising uh, doorbell push events. And for the longest time, when someone pushes the button on the doorbell, the Sonos rings. So the Sonos, such as the one that's sitting on my shelf over there, which is detached at the moment, which I'll come back to in a moment, that uh, would play a doorbell chime, which is great. So we're raising that event. At Halloween, I got the doorbell to then play a web file back, which was a little bit freaky. The kids loved it. It was very funny. And then there's text-to-speech. And because we can do text-to-speech and we can play that back to the doorbell, I went, okay, well, what we'll do is doorbell press, and then we will play some text-to-speech back, which is like, hey, we're a fully automated house or, or an artificial intelligent house. What are you here for? Long pause. And then a little bit of text saying, thank you, I've saved this to my neural processing engine. And then people are just like, and it's really funny because the ubiquity doorbell is constantly record. So I go back and watch it just for my amusement. And every time people are like, what? <laughs> what just happened? So anyway, I'm trying to figure out, like, how do we make this more fun? How do we, being conscious that it is someone standing outside my house, and I don't want to upset anyone too much, but how do we, how do we mess with people enough to give them a laugh? right? And to give us a laugh as well. I've had some good suggestions. So I'm going to work on those. I think it's a little bit hard to have true conversation because you need to be able to go speech to text. You then need to be able to throw that into an engine somewhere, which can interpret it and then reply backwards. So to be able to do that in real time from that doorbell, I'm not quite sure if we're there yet. If we are and you want to write the automation, then I would love to use it. Otherwise, I think I'm just going to have to think about what are the right words to use and are there other things that Home Assistant can observe and use in that text-to-speech? Think about that. Let's see the comments. I'm talking about presentation mode. Oh. Now it's happening in here. Brendan's laptop stays online. Kaitat Chung is in Melbourne. Good morning. How does your energy monitoring work with your setup? I've got Casa plugs, but monitoring only gives me live readings from the app and can't do any smart functions with the data. Right, so in case you're just joining, this uh, all ties into Home Assistant. So Home Assistant running on my Raspberry Pi, usually running when it's not shutting itself down like it did this morning, on my Raspberry Pi is the, uh, is the automation or the orchestration of auto automation for my home. Now, for some reason, my PC is not wanting to load Home Assistant at the moment, but my iPad does. So I've got a bunch of different things that can, uh, different things, different devices that can report power usage. <clears throat> so Casa Plugs, good example. So there is an integration which 
surfaces data from the Casa plugs into Home Assistant. Surfaces data, surfaces control. So I can turn it on and off, and I can also read the amount of power that's being used. I've got Casa plugs, I've got TP-Link plugs, uh, I think there's a Wemo plug in there somewhere. So different devices that can report on power usage. And then, let's try and see if I've got one laying around. Yeah, I'll pull one out of the Raspberry Pi. Oh. <clears throat> This is a good example. This is a Tapo plug. So this Tapo plug is going to drive my, my SOC, my security operations center, my great big TV, 77-inch TV, driven by a Raspberry Pi, which is going to put all my have I been pwn graphs and things on. And I definitely want to turn that off, <clears throat> excuse me, when I'm not here. So it's plugged into this smart plug. Now, these Tapo plugs I bought recently from Bunnings because they're small. They're very... Thin, and you can put them next to each other on a power socket. So I've got, I think I've got two of these behind my PC down here. One plug goes into a UPS and measures how much power we're putting into the UPS, which then all the essential stuff's on. And then there's another plug that drives the less essential stuff, like the secondary monitors and things like that, and it measures that too. It's got a little button on the top, so you can manually power it on and off, and then this will report the amount of power it's used back into Home Assistant, and I get graphs. It's not just graphs, but of course, if you have an appliance plugged into this and it's off, it's not using any power or barely any. It's still connected to the Wi-Fi. You turn it on and now suddenly it's drawing power. So if I suddenly you know, turn the TV on, for example, I can look at the spike in power from this and say, OK, well, now that power is on, let's do something as a result of that. <clears throat> so hopefully that answers your question there. Uh let me see what else is in here. <clears throat> Saffron says, real estate agents don't knock here, but they tend to shove a lot of flies for the mailbox. So I, I put a, we got a new mailbox as part of all our work here. Uh, also connected, there's little uh, little reed switches. There's a bit there where you put letters in. There's a reed switch that uh, then gets the Sonos to say you've got mail. And there's a bigger one where you put a parcel in another reed switch. Sonos says you've got a package. Cool stuff. I put a no junk mail sign on it. And I'm like, this is not going to work at all. But surprisingly, it has. It's like it's massively cut down the junk mail. So I guess sometimes people do pay a little bit of attention. But now I feel like I want to accost the people that are putting junk mail in when there's literally a sign that says don't do it. But it's always some rando on a push bike, you know, earning a few bucks. So I feel a bit bad about that. Only a bit bad. Um <clears throat> Ben says, the apartment always has a sign out the front of my letterbox. is always full of them, but I don't get door knocks. Lucky you. Uh, James reckons adding chat GPT is Mario voice. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> also enable statistics sensors. That's how I use data and automations. Uh, the statistics stuff is very, very cool. Stefan reckons it'll be hilarious if a chat GPT generated text in the theme of Crocodile Dundee, except that's how we all talk here. So, you know. Uh, <laughs> with random greetings and questions of intent. Interesting. Um, Brandon on Bunnings. They sell the most expensive piece of plastic I think I've ever seen, a simple Cat 6 inline coupler. <laughs> yeah, they, it's probably, Bunnings is probably not the best place to buy your, uh, your networky things. Anyway, back on the automation. Now, last week I was doing this video and the Sonos over there 
on my shelf had the doorbell ring come in. And it kept ringing, kept ringing. Now, they didn't say it at the time because it kind of bugged me a little bit, but someone was meant to be home before the person coming to do some work on the house arrived. And I said to this person who was meant to be home, I said, if you're not home in time, that person is going to have to wait because I'm going to be here doing a live thing at that time. And it bugged me a little bit. But as I asked her, I just ignore them. They can wait. <laughs> that was the backstory. But what was happening is I'm here presenting and the reason that is ringing is because we've got about seven, I think seven different Sonosers in the house with lots of in-selling speakers and things all joined into the one group so that you walk through the house, you get music everywhere. It's lovely. Uh, but I don't want that playing the doorbell when I'm in here. And I was sort of discussing this live and people coming out with ideas. Anyway, what I decided to do is I've got key lights just here. This was shining on my face right at this moment. I only have ever have those turned on when I've got the camera on when I'm presenting. So I created a binary sensor in have I, in have I been phone in Home Assistant so that when I turn those key lights on, I go into a Troy presenting mode. Now, when the Troy presenting mode comes on, that triggers an automation on Home Assistant. Does two things. Number one, it unjoins that Sonos. So if there's music playing when I start presenting, then that just automatically stops. If there's doorbells or things that happen or other things that happen as part of the home automation, so for example, the home talks, the Sonos talks when the washing machine's finished or the dishwasher's finished, that won't say anything. Job done. I also wanted to have some sort of visual indication because often we'll have, uh, so we, we have cleaners in here once a week and I might be presenting or something and I have a, a, a little battery-powered flashy light and I turn that on and I sort of drop it outside my office. I found I had a spare Hugo. So the Hugo is like these, these little bowl-looking things, mains-powered, Zigbee-based, great integration home assistant. I put the spare one outside my office, set an automation that goes in a loop to make it go red and then off, and then red, so a little red flashing light. So right now, as of this moment, there's a red flashing light outside my office. That's unjoined. As soon as I turn off these lights, the little red flashy thing will stop. Happy days. Now... Hmm. I just saw the last message, democracy sausage. <laughs> Someone's talking about Bunnings. <laughs> if, you're not, uh, if you're not from Australia, Google Bunnings sausage sizzle and you'll get it. As Kai Tat says, it is an Aussie institution, mate, and it is. Um. <laughs> All right, so anyway, I guess the, the thing I like about this home assistant use case, a lot of the time people are like, yeah, is isn't it all just gimmick? Like you know, no, there's no true value out of out of IoT, but it's it's the little things like this, the little 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 things that really make me happy. That makes me happy. That's good. Now I just got to get Home Assistant not to shut down. So I spoke about this a while ago. I do have a CM4 processor sitting here on my desk. It is awaiting a Home Assistant Yellow, which will then run off an NVMe for data. The Home Assistant Yellow apparently is meant to ship in a few days from now, which I really hope it does because that uh, poor little Raspberry Pi has not been very reliable lately. I still remain suspicious of the power supply. And a few people have said PoE power for Raspberry Pis can be a bit flaky. Scott was on the other day and he's like, look, PoE is sending way more power than what the device actually needs anyway. It'd probably be easy for me to check... But yeah, I want the yellow anyway. I want the NVMe SSD storage. So that will happen. 
Twitter, X. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Now, I've made a habit on the 27th of each month, being the anniversary, the monthly anniversary of when Elon became the new Twitter overlord, of putting out a tweet observing the fact that despite how many people were sure that Twitter would crash and burn so quickly after he took over, despite their views, we're still here. And it drives some people nuts, and I find it hilarious. I'm going to be honest. Like I just find it hilarious that, first of all, all of the predictions of impending doom and the fact that the platform would crash and there's going to be days until it's dead and it will all be gone and make sure you've got your footprints and all the other socials, which I do anyway, so that when it's dead, we can all regroup in the newly formed worlds. And I just, it, it never passed the bullshit test for me that it was, it was on the brink of disaster for very, very various reasons. And, I think it was five months after he took over and I tweeted and I went, in fact, I can find out how long it is because I keep quote tweeting the same tweet, which has been seen millions of times now, which is, I find is also quite funny. When was this? Um, here you go, March 27, <laughs> 2.4 million views. I said, five months a day since Elon Musk took over Twitter, it still works just fine. There are new features. This isn't the outcome many people were predicting. That's so upset people. Because it upset them so much, I've done it every month, just to see who's still here. Now, to be clear, he obviously has issues, right? Like, and and it's funny because people see this and they're like, "Ah, oh, you're an Elon Musk fanboy." So, well, if you go back through my Twitter timeline and have a look at some of the things I've said, you'd probably change your mind. I, I think, particularly the the hyperbole around Tesla just absolutely drives me nuts. Uh, Search for my name and Tesla on autopilot and you'll find all sorts of things where I just think it's it's ridiculous branding and a bunch of stupid stuff. He's done a bunch of stupid stuff. He continues to do a bunch of stupid stuff. Yeah, the, the most stupid one in recent memory that I can think of was the disallowing people from posting links on Twitter to other social media platforms. That was stupid. It got rolled back. Now we can do that. It still works. And then people were very upset because, like, well, yeah, it still works, but Lots of people got fired, and and not in a very nice way. So, well, yeah, and and then just after that, of course, all the other tech companies let a bunch of people go. Uh, some of you may have seen. In fact, we some of you here have mutual friends with me from Pluralsight. Pluralsight has just gone on a massive cull. Th this is the economic cycle that we're in. Many organisations are doing this. Some of them are doing it more brutally than others, and, and clearly Twitter was pretty brutal about it. Regardless, weird stuff happening. Obviously, all the weird rate limiting stuff. Was that last month? I was on holidays at the time, so I was like, I think I'll just sit here and watch everyone argue about it. The ones that I'm finding quite amusing lately, first of all, on the crazy level, I have no idea why you would rename a platform that people know so well to X. I, I have absolutely no idea why that makes sense in any way whatsoever. All I know is that the button still says tweet, the bird's still all over the place, people are still there. I'm having very, very robust discussions. I had great discussions. The last couple of days, the doorbell discussion. Um, lots of nice responses to some McLaren photos I posted yesterday. To the brisket this morning, it's like it's it's still the same place. It's just people bitching and whinging about different stuff. But it is fascinating to see the things that they do bitch and whinge about. Now, <laughs> two things came to mind. Just I just wonder where where people find the time. If I'm honest, 
Two of the things I saw just yesterday from fairly noteworthy people in our industry, and I, I won't, I won't name them. You can have fun if you want. But one person was very unhappy that because Twitter has rebranded to X and they are updating their assets to reflect X, one of their assets was obviously their LinkedIn account. And this person had previously worked for Twitter and where they used to have a bird icon, there is now an X icon and they were pissed. <laughs> really, this, this is what consumes your time. Maybe that's, maybe that's a, a sign of everything in life being really good because when something so insignificant is the thing that actually consumes the airtime, everything else must be going great. <laughs> this is the biggest thing that's my problem at the moment. Someone else was, uh, was very unhappy that whoever it was that owned the X handle, so someone actually had the one character X handle, uh, appears to have now given that up. And this person was very unhappy about that. And they said, this, clearly they've been forced into it or coerced into it or something. And then the person who gave it up is somewhere in the tweet timeline or got quote tweeted and they seemed happy. Now, I don't know if they were compensated for it, if Elon negotiated, if they got a, maybe they got a ride in his private jet or something. I don't know. None, none of us know as far as I know. But this, yeah, this person was unhappy. It's a lot of seeking out unhappiness here. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just bizarre. It is, it is bizarre that people want to get so upset about it in the first place, but then to do it on Twitter as somehow trying to make a point that it's no good, but they're still here. <laughs> I did find actually when I quote, so I quote tweeted it every month since March. I did find when I quote tweeted the one last night, there are far fewer people actually getting angry this time. Now, I don't know if it's because the angry people are just gone. And I, I look, I have noticed a clear drop-off in the number of InfoSec people there. I have not noticed a drop-off in many of the other areas that that consume my life. Uh, the IoT stuff, for example. I haven't noticed any change there. Uh, the software devs, may, may, and this is very anecdotal, maybe a little drop-off, but for the most part, it's the same levels of engagement. And I can see it in my stats as well. Uh, I can see that my stats the engagement and the views still pretty much track with the amount of content that I'm creating. That hasn't really changed. And then things like that video about the real estate agent yesterday. I mean, there's, how many people have seen that now? 97,300 people saw a video or a post that I posted 14 hours ago. Um, and if you're wondering why I'm not just taking all the social activity onto one of the other platforms, and I have a Mastodon footprint, a Blue Sky footprint, a Threads footprint, of course I had Facebook and LinkedIn and all the incumbents for ages, it's because I, I can't go and put stuff there and have it seen 97,000 times because that's not where the people are. Let's see the comments. Um, Stefan says, I'm counting on Troy showing me around sometime for a proper Aussie experience. We were talk literally, mate, talking just yesterday about we really, really should get you down here. We'd really like to. <laughs> let's, let's take that up offline. Um, Brenna says, I think you made people quite grumpy at the time. <laughs> this is, must be about the Twitter stuff. Uh, maybe this is about the Twitter stuff. James says, I didn't like Twitter before Elon anyway. What I'm finding very difficult in general is 
is, is literally like what to believe anymore. I'm sure you folks must find this well. And it doesn't matter your political leanings or your religious views or your sexual, like none of this. It, there's so much stuff that is so vehemently strong in opinion on either extreme and so convinced that the other side is, is wrong or fake news or whatever. I, I read stuff and I just honestly have no idea. And and I really have no idea with the Twitter stuff and Elon how much of it is that he's a megalomaniac, crazy guy versus there's some basis and sense to it versus things just get misinterpreted or overblown. It's very very hard to actually know at the moment. I think there's a very very strange time in our lives, if I'm honest. Ben says this will be about Pluralsight. Well, they did buy uh, ACG, a cloud guru. Uh, they they did. They also went public and then they went private and then they've they've flip flopped and they still send me a check every quarter, <laughs> which is nice. But you know, they all of these organisations go through their cycles. I want to write a follow up. I wrote this blog post called something like "Financial Tips for Technology Professionals," and I did it on the thirty first of December, twenty eighteen. Which, with the benefit of hindsight, was a very strange time in my life. I don't know why I posted it then, but I do want to do a follow up because I think a lot of the stuff there is very very relevant to these cycles and things that we have, where it is a very predictable cycle that at some point in time you'll have the likes of tech companies all gung-ho with lots of money coming in and probably over-hiring, and I'm sure that happened with Pluralsight and I'm sure that happened with Twitter as well, and Microsoft and GitHub and all the other organisations that have culled folks lately. And then you get to these periods where there's all these austerity measures. Uh, And in fact, Charlotte and I were sitting there talking about it last night because we're looking at some of the... The, the, the good friends we have from Pluralsight that have been cut. And we're like, when you look at an organization and, and what are the sorts of, of roles and capacities that they will cut first, it's really interesting to look at where those folks sat with that. Uh, but anyway, I don't want to do a follow-up to that post because I, I think you've, you've, got to, you've got to expect these cycles. And in fairness, I think most of the people I know that, that did get cut as well have, yeah, I mean, they've, they've a, very good people with good skills and good experience, and B, have sort of been around long enough that, that hopefully they've, they've built themselves up some buffer. One of my friends there was, um, I was chatting to this morning, has been there since I started creating content in 2012, so they've had you know, more than a decade. Uh, what else we got in here? Kaitat says, as a long-time fan of classic turn-based alien killing strategy game XCOM. <laughs> I just worry about SEO confusion when searching for my favourite video game. Nothing confusing at all about just changing everything to X, is there? Now, Jim says, uh, if I remember correctly, X was the name of Elon's company that got bought bought by, merged with PayPal way back when. Yeah, late 90s, I believe. I saw some stuff. I do look at Elon's timeline occasionally because I find it amusing. <laughs> Reading someone's timeline is not necessarily an endorsement. I tell you, there's a few people I just go back and read because it's like, this is going to be entertaining. Like just just reading the crazy. And to some extent, that's Elon as well. Okay. Where were we? What was next? Data breaches. Has there been a big week of data breaches? One, two, three, four breaches I've loaded this week. Now, Generally, as a rule of thumb, there's like one point something data breaches a week I load. I think to look at it the other way, when I did the numbers years ago, it was about one breach every four days. So four breaches in a week is a big week. 
Let's talk about these because one of them in particular is very interesting and I'll explain why. Uh, let's grab the, the Twitter timeline up here so I can see what it was that I published when. The big X comes up. <laughs> so I Twitter for now. Might change later. Uh, all right, first one since we last spoke. Roblox. I am really surprised at how much traction the Roblox developer conference breach. This was the one that I loaded nine days ago now, before my last video, how much traction it got. Got a huge amount of press, Roblox did disclosure after it. The impression I got was that people in that community were kind of aware of it, but Roblox never really disclosed it, never did anything about it. It went into have a been pwned, suddenly got a bunch of press. So I guess that's kind of what I'm here for. <laughs> you know, like I want to get, I want to get the discussion and the disclosure happening. So I load another data breach, Roblox is five days ago now, uh, 52,000 users in a test environment in 2016. Now I know that's old. Why am I loading the old stuff? It's part of the immutable history of data breaches. Uh, if someone finds me a data breach from 2000 tomorrow, I will put it in Have I Been Pwned. We're verifying it might be tricky, but I'd still load that. So that went in there. Email and IP addresses, usernames, purchases, and Robux balances 69% of those already in have I been pwned. So uh, that's a pretty pretty common number. A less common number was Tigo, the next breach here. So Tigo is a Chinese video chat service. Now someone sent me 300 gigabytes with over 100 million records of Tigo data. That is massive, but only just over 700,000 unique email addresses. So as best I can tell, it's a Chinese chat platform, largely mobile based. In this data breach, there were uh, obviously, obviously a heap of records, a heap of communications backwards and forwards between people, a heap of private messages, a heap of what I believe are profile photos. And now it doesn't look like photos that have been privately sent. They look like photos which were probably intended to sit there publicly facing on the profile, but they're then attached to email addresses and private messages and things like that. So to me, that's that's pretty personal. I would be upset if that was to happen to me. The person that sent it to me had tried to get in touch with them via the published email address, didn't get an answer. No surprises there. Uh, now for folks that are subscribers to my Twitter, to my ex, <laughs> my ex account, that's where you pay a few bucks a month. I am feeding a lot more data about these earlier on. And I was sort of having the discussion with people on there about this breach and not being able to find contact info and frankly pissing me off because I had also reached out to the email address, the same one the other guy did, not expecting to get a response, but feeling like that was a level of due diligence that I needed to do, lest I load this and they got upset. And I, I kind of said this, like, why is this my job to go and have to contact an organization like this? It just it bugs the hell out of me. 700,000 unique names, usernames, email and IP addresses, Genders, profile photos, and private messages, 9% already have I been pwned. Very, very low number at 9%. Usually when there is a Chinese service or something outside the, I guess, the Western world as we think of it, where most of our platforms run, probably the ones that you and I run, the percentages are very small. So not that surprising to only be 9%. Next one here, book crossing. I'd never heard of book crossing. They disclose the data breach in August. Always helps when there's the existing disclosure there and I can just go, yep, yoink. 
in August that dated back to 2012. So, more than a decade old. Data included names, usernames, email and IP addresses, dates of birth and plain text passwords. Good on them. Stefan, we should be loading these. We should, we've got a fun, faster ways of getting these in because it's like, why didn't I put the number there? Oh, man, I didn't have say how many records were there. I think it was, I think it was like one and a half million. 85% of them already have been pwned. But yeah, we've got to get those passwords in. Now, the last one, and this is the one that I find most interesting, and I think it'll make a bit of news today. It only went in less than 24 hours ago, which is breach forums. Now, there have been many clear web hacking websites around where there's generally a canonical one, like it was Raid Forums. Raid Forums was the canonical clear web hacking website where lots of people would exchange data breaches. It was very often the first time we'd hear about a new data breach was posted there. And then sure as night follows day, it gets shut down by law enforcement. And then Breach Forums comes along. And Breach Forums was also very, very popular for, it must have been less than a year though, because it got taken off earlier this year, taken down, or about, let's say about a year. Uh, and that got taken down. And then we learned earlier this year, the operator of that website got arrested. Uh, later on, the site was seized and a uh, FBI splash banner, FBI and friends, as I often refer to them as, I can see the NCA in there, the Dutch police as well. One of their banners got put there. The logo, or rather the uh, the avatar of the operator of the service, Pom Pompurian, had this little, uh, someone will tell me what kind of animal this is. It's like some little bear thing. <laughs> The logo he always used. Uh, they updated the logo, put little tiny handcuffs on him, which which I think is is great in keeping theme with the FBI's new sense of humour as it relates to takedown notices. If everyone remember the Genesis Market and the cookies from Cookie Monster Operation Cookie Monster, oh, that was quite amusing. One thing I didn't realise at the time was what the guy had been charged with. Now I have spoken before about some of the ways they they caught him, including him having discussions with someone about his own private email address. Uh, showing up in Have I Been Pwned for a Breach, but then not in the breach data that he was given. So uh, Connor Fitzpatrick, from memory was his name, got charged with obviously running the service, and I think it was like trading and stolen identity data or something, uh, but also for possessing child exploitation material, which which I think we'd all agree is, is probably the worst thing to to even conceive of someone being involved in. And I just remember at the time, so uh, it's a young guy. Like, I wonder, without getting into the detail, like, I wonder how bad it is. And now someone did actually send me uh, a screen cap today from uh, an FBI doc. I, I don't know if it was an affidavit or a subpoena or, or what it was that detailed the material, without being too explicit, but, but detailed enough to make it very, very clear he knew exactly what he was doing. So... Those little tiny handcuffs are going to be there for a, a a very long time. I think we would we would all hope. Regardless, it was replaced by another breach forums. That breach forums got breached, <laughs> ironically. Several thousand email addresses from there went into have it been pwned a little while ago. But the breach forums that really gained a lot of popularity and ran for that you know sort of one year plus era. I'm going to actually check the bleeping computer story here. So this bleeping computer story was from June 23. I think this was when the the uh, takedown image went there. Um, 
When did this all happen? It was Connor Fitzpatrick, aka Pom Pom Purin. Pom Pom Purin. Sometime earlier this year, it went down. Regardless, it went offline. Uh, he got arrested on March 15 this year. <clears throat> Charged with involvement in the theft and sale of sensitive personal information belonging to millions of U.S. citizens and hundreds of U.S. and foreign companies, organizations, government agencies. Uh, out on a $300,000 bond. Now, this one that I linked to here, I don't think listed the charges. Yeah, so this story here didn't list the charges. Regardless, it turns out that that website had a breach in November. So someone contacted me yesterday morning. This person asked for attribution, so their identity, what are they, well, their assumed identity is listed in the uh, in the breach description. So if someone requests attribution, uh, I give that to them. I, I do list whatever they ask for uh, to be listed there. So this person asked for, what's their Twitter handle, breached D90964. Anyway, it's in the tweet. Ask for attribution. Uh, there's a Telegram channel there. My interactions with this person, they seemed seemed legitimate. That sounded really, really vague the way I put that. When you have a conversation with someone about a breach, you know, what happened, how did it happen, what's the data in there, you sort of get a sense pretty quickly of whether someone's a bit of a fruit loop or not. <laughs> and this, this person, I guess, seemed above board. Everything seemed to check out. Uh, I did have what I refer to as a lurker account. So an account I often create in these locations, not directly tied back to me, but no attempt to try and obfuscate who it is if someone pulled enough strings, uh, simply so that I have the ability to log on and look at content. I had a Lurker account in there. The Lurker account was in this data. Now, I didn't actually say that publicly. You're the first to hear about this. But that is how I did verification for a website that has been shut down. So that account was there. The dates lined up with the, uh, the data that I've stored in my password manager. That, to me, says very, very high probability that this is correct. Now, as far as I know, this was sort of the, the first news, at least that I've seen, that there was a breach of breach forums. Irony. So I imagine that there's a lot of people that are, that are now kind of curious about where their data is. Now, we, of course, would expect law enforcement to have this data. I mean, they literally took down the service. They would have everything that is in there. I think what people probably wouldn't expect is that a whole bunch of other nefarious folks probably also now have the data. I don't know how far it's spread. I don't know if anyone else has it. Uh, I know speaking to a journalist this morning that there's a lot of interest <laughs> from cybersecurity companies in having the data. And I don't know exactly why it was given to me and no one else. I assume because they like have I been pwned, I think it's a worthy cause. But yeah, so... That is now in there. A couple of hundred thousand people in there. I sent <clears throat> a sizable number of notification emails. I can't remember how many. It was many thousands to subscribers, have been paying subscribers that were in there. So that would have been a bit of a shock, I would imagine, when those folks woke up and read that. Let me have a look at the comments here. Because I did just <laughs> say a lot across everything there. Um... Stefan says, amazing that services still have plain text passwords these days. Now, that particular book crossing one, <clears throat> that was from 2012. But I was thinking about it, and I was like, 
when was the last time that it was okay? When was the last year that it was okay? Because I remember very clearly blogging in 2012 about how weak like Salted Shah One was. You know, now this is more than a decade ago. So if at the time these guys got breached, we knew that Salted Shah One was insufficient for storing passwords, it was definitely not okay to be storing them in plain text at that time. Just saying. James says, people torrenting breach data that you have seen. I'm not sure what the context there was, James. Maybe you can expand on that. Stefan says, I'm pretty sure delegating to OzCert would just make things take even longer to load breaches. Um, delegating to anyone tends to take longer. So I'm constantly playing this balancing game. It's like I'm sitting here with the data. A bunch of my subscribers are in there. I could load this right now, and they all get to find out and then change their passwords and you know do whatever it is they need to do to protect themselves but I need to try and disclose properly as well. Uh, and I, I do keep, I, I keep tweaking that balance. And it is very dependent on the nature of the organization and the data. But I didn't try to get in touch with breach forums. I think I probably don't need to send Connor anything at all, <laughs> let alone a disclosure that his site has been breached. So it depends. And so the Genesis takedown was overhyped as the market is still running, just on tour. Seems like only the domains were seized. Now, I don't think it is overhyped. And the reason why is we, at the time, saw well over 100 arrests. And even during this week, I tweeted about another arrest of a Dutch guy. I think he was somewhere in South America. Um, the arrests are still going on. There's been a massive amount of law enforcement action taken as a result of that takedown. The fact that it's still there on tour, I, I, I think, is sort of missing the point. There's a whole bunch of people that were involved in very, very criminal activity that have since been arrested as a result of this. And you would have to imagine that the law enforcement agencies, and it was a real coalition there. I mean, we were there, the Aussies were there. <clears throat> um, I think we figure there are about 18 different uh, national law enforcement agencies involved. You would also have to think the amount of information that they gathered that will be useful in the future would be very significant. Uh, I would imagine the arrests are the tip of the iceberg and they alone are very significant. Uh, Kaitat says, Ossert wouldn't have as much reach as a simple tweet. Does anyone have a security contact at? Which is totally true. Uh, and look, I've got a lot of friends at Ossert as well. I think they're, they're, they're wonderful folks. Uh, and like like so many of us, <laughs> they, they are stretched. They've got a lot going on. They're only just up the road here too. They're, they're good people. Jim says, if you kept Lurker accounts, you could auto-rotate the passwords every month and then be able to date when the breach happened. <clears throat> It's usually very easy to date a breach anyway because you've got timestamps. Uh, and I, I think from memory on the breach forum one, it was date registered, date last logged on. And that coincided with the data in my password manager. But that also helps date it because, okay, so when was the last registered account or the last logon? So that was pretty easy. Uh, and, and as you say, Jim, it's a bit like a canary account, which is, yeah, pretty much. Uh, James says... Just wondered if people were sharing breach data in torrents. I've seen some weird stuff in peer-to-peer -peer networks. High-level people seem to share via FTP accounts among themselves. They definitely share torrents. The one I remember the most being shared by torrent was Ashley Madison. I mean, that was really, really extensively torrented, obviously, to, to try and, and create maximum impact, do maximum damage. Most of the data I see these days, I mean, I, I literally just downloaded one that someone sent me today, is, is on things like Anon files, you know, a file sharing uh, platform. A lot of them are on Mega NZ. 
There are definitely some torrents. <clears throat> there are all sorts of other shady-ish file-sharing platforms where these things appear. Um, some of them are posted via Telegram. It's like there's, there's just so many different places it appears. But uh, it, interestingly, I'd say we see it less on torrents. And I think what I see most on torrents these days are probably like massive collections where someone will be like, here's my entire stash, you know, and they torrent the whole thing out. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Last thing here, and I'm going to share as much detail as I have about this today, I think, domain search updates. Now, I've been talking about this each week for the last few weeks. So the domain search feature I have been pwned is now, I mean, it came out like just after Have I Pwned came out, which is almost 10 years ago now. So that has been a very popular service. <coughs> it is used by more than half the Fortune 500 just to name a few. It's fascinating to look through the list of, uh, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> it's fascinating to look through the list of the domains that have been searched and the organisations that are monitoring them. Now, obviously, I'm not going to name them for privacy reasons, but you look through it and you're like, yep, I know them, I know them, I know them. Well, they're worth a lot of billions of dollars. And it's some of the world's largest companies. It's a lot of the world's largest companies, about half of the world's largest companies, if we take that Fortune 500. And as I've said before, we, we Charlotte and I, were looking at data earlier this year. In fact, remember, we're in, in Canberra having a beer. I was looking at this data and we went, this is costing more and more to run this platform to provide free searches for the biggest companies. We should do something about this. Uh, as and there's a whole other discussion I think I need to blog about and then have it another time about trying to invest in the platform and grow it into something bigger and more sustainable and and so on and so forth. But that's a macro discussion. So we started looking. All right. Well, how do we how do we put a monetization strategy around domain searches without upsetting people too much? I'll put it very bluntly because as soon as you start charging for something that was free, you're going to upset some people. I've certainly been in that position. I like getting stuff for free, <clears throat> but I also recognize that there are thresholds here. So last week, and I'm just going to put my Excel document here, but last week I shared a lot more detail about how I thought uh, the structure should look in terms of creating tiers. Brendan had this great idea a couple of weeks ago about just rolling in the existing API key subscriptions with the domain search, so you end up just having a single thing here of different sizes, which gets you different requests per minute with the API uh, in, in terms of the email address search and also gets you different domain sizes in terms of domain search. And that's pretty much what we uh, what we worked out. I'm actually just trying to find, here you go, domain results. Is that where I put it? There's an Excel document here somewhere. Yes, that's the one. Okay, cool. So. What I've been trying to figure out is what's the best way to divide down domain sizes and also to charge for domain sizes. Now, I think where we got to last week, as I said, <coughs> using Brendan's really good idea, there'll be four different tiers. And I wanted to have more than half of all domains outside of the commercial tiers totally free. And then I want to take the remaining less than half and roughly divided into four parts and then put those into different tiers, roughly aligned with the same prices. <coughs> so here's what we've done. 
I really want to stick with this because I've, I've coded a lot of this. But, but <clears throat> I do welcome everyone's feedback. If you listen to this now, drop it in the comments. I have had a lot of people email me. I'm going to give you a couple of examples, actually, and contact me via DM as well. So uh, I really want to hear from people on this. Genuinely really want to hear. So what I did is I went, <clears throat> let's make up to and including 10 breached accounts on a domain. Keep that exactly as it is at the moment. You can search it for free. Now, that's 56% of all domains. So these, these ranges I'm picking here, uh, in part, these ranges sort of meet that objective of like, you know, at least half free. Uh, and in part, they're nice, clean, round numbers that people can can easily remember. So if you've, let's say it's troyhunt.com and I have 10 email addresses on there that have appeared in breaches, not one email address that has appeared 10 times, one email address can appear as many times as it wants, but 10 different email addresses. That would fit in the free tier, it'd be exactly as it is at the moment, no change. So for 56% of domains, zero change. The remaining 44% I've split roughly evenly into these options. Now, I think I did read these options last week, but I didn't talk about the pricing of it. So four different models. For the sake of simplicity, they're called Pwned 1, Pwned 2, Pwned 3, Pwned 4. I thought about small, medium, large, ultra, mega, but it just I just find that messy. So the smallest commercial tier would be between 11 and 25 breached accounts. So if you've got up to 25 breached accounts on a domain, then you're in that first tier. Now these are going to align to the existing pricing model of the API keys for now. And in October, it will go up between 13 and 15%. And I'll talk about that and why in just a moment. But for the sake of simplicity, for the next couple of months, if you've got between 11 and 25 breach accounts on a domain, you're going to need to find $3.50. I'm going to do everything USD because that's just the thing most people understand. $3.50 per month. If you buy for a year, you can, same as the API key at the moment, you can pay for 10 months, get 12 months. So it'll be 35 bucks for a year. So as soon as you pay money, you get two other things as well. You get API access. I just about finished all the code for the API just yesterday. So you will now be able to query domains via API, which is going to open up a whole world of opportunities, which is great. You will also get online support. So we will use the existing Zendesk support mechanism, which we provide support for existing commercial subscribers doing API key search for email addresses. You'll be able to do that for domains as well. Now, if you've only got five breached accounts on a domain, you don't have to pay a cent. You can go and use everything the way it was before. If you want to start doing API searches as well, then you're going to need to find $3.50 in a month. So that's between 11 and 25. Now, that's 10% of all domains have between 11 and 25 breached accounts. So if we take the 56% that's free and the other 10% that's between 11 and 25, that's now two-thirds of domains fit within what I'm classing as a cup of coffee a month. I'm okay with that. I don't mind that. I, I think it would be <clears throat> very hard for anyone to argue and say all of the things that you're doing and the platform and the expenses and the support and everything else is not worth a cup of coffee a month. <clears throat> if it's not, that's fine. <laughs> Just don't use it. <clears throat> oh, excuse me, I've got to stop coughing. I'm fine, really. But the point is, to, to me, that it's it's just sort of that price point, which is 
so small that it's something that you don't if I get a if I buy a service for three dollars and fifty cents, I gotta think, is it actually worth my time to go and file the receipt in zero so I can get the tax deduction on it because it's such a small <laughs> a small amount of money. So <clears throat> Eleven twenty-five. Point one. Next tier up is between twenty-six and a hundred. Now that's twelve percent of all domains. So between twenty-six and a hundred now falls into the next pricing tier, which at the moment is fifteen dollars a month. So it means you can have up to one hundred breached accounts. Now, just as a rule of thumb, about twenty percent of email addresses on a domain have been breached. So by the time you're looking at 100 email addresses, you're talking about an organization with up to about 500 people, either with it now or that have gone through over the years. So <clears throat> if you're a 500 person organization, I think 15 bucks is okay. <laughs> I really think 15 bucks is okay. And again, that's just the monthly price. If you do it annually, it's 150. So if we take 150 and divide it by 12, well, you know, now we're less than 15 bucks a month. The next one is between 101 and 500. Now that's a very, very big chunk in terms of breadth, but it is only 11% of all domains. And that just falls into the next tier that we already have published, which is $25. So 25 bucks a month, and then over 500 is 100. And that's the existing pricing that uh, sits on the API key. So if you're an organization that has over 500 breached email addresses, it would be $100 US in a month if you want to run queries against that domain. So those brackets break down to 56% totally free, 10, 12, 11, 11. And they all map to the existing pricing model for now. And it also means that anyone that's already paying to do API key searches will then get this and they'll get it at whatever level that covers. So that's kind of the first bit. Let me have a look at the comments, see if there's anything I need to respond to here. Um, uh -huh, uh -huh. James says, uh, Home Assistant add-on, if you're talking about that for Have I Been Pwned, it already exists. <laughs> it's there natively. You'll need an API key. It's $3.50 a month. Uh, it is there. Now, James says, I would name these tiers by that maximum number for simplicity. The, 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 the problem with that, James, is that given that we roll in the existing rate-limited API key with the new size of domain search, a 10 request per minute API key will allow you to search for domains with up to 25 breached accounts. So what do we call it? We used to call it 10 RPM. We can't just call it 10 RPM anymore because now it covers breached accounts. I don't want to call it like 10 RPM and 25 breached because that's kind of messy too. I've redone a bunch of UX stuff that I think makes it look pretty clear. But but fair point. I, I, look, I would have thought that too, but it's when you start having different services within the one product that that gets confusing. Okay, now that's the first thing. <clears throat> the change in pricing. So we wanted to we wanted to bump it a little bit because there's a lot more stuff in there in simple terms. Having that domain search and then also being able to, if you've got an existing API key and then suddenly can start to search for domains too, is a massive bonus. And it will be for a lot of organizations. I know there's a lot that use both the API keys and the domain search. 
So the revised pricing, we need to give 60 days notice. Uh, so if you're using the API key, you know, when you read the terms and conditions, <laughs> which we all do, it says that we can increase the price with 60 days notice. So uh, what we'll be doing is we'll be notifying every single subscriber. We have to do that anyway, because the terms and conditions are changing because they roll in the domain stuff. And we'll be saying that I, I think we're aiming for like the 10th of October or something like that. I think it's a Sunday. It'll be in the email. Those prices will increase between, yeah, 13 and 15%. Now, incidentally, I got an email from Spotify, I think yesterday, uh, and their, their price going at 12%. And it, like, it's a fairly normal sort of price increase. So the revised prices will be slightly more, but still kind of inconsequential. Now, I said I got a couple of emails from people, and, and one of them in particular, and I, I won't name the school, but as a school in my state here, someone contacted me with some feedback and said, look, let me, let me share what I've just shared with you guys about pricing and, and see what you think. And essentially what we got to is they had uh, the, the domain that has their students on it had 300 breached accounts on it. And this was a private school. Uh, and having two kids at a private school, I know how much money we, we give private schools. It's a private school with 1,200 students. And we said, look, if, if you guys need to be able to monitor those domains, you're going to end up in the, 20, uh, in the 101 to 500 pricing tier, which will be pwned three. Uh, the cost per month in Australian dollars, if you pay for a year, is 30 bucks, a dollar a day. And you sort of go... Private school, 1,200 students, is it reasonable to say it will be $1 a day to be able to query the domain as many times as you want? There will be some sort of rate limit, but it, it will be like basically so people don't abuse it. Uh, certainly every time there's a new breach, you'll be able to query it. You know, is that reasonable? And the, the discussion we had was, was like, yeah, look, that's, look, that's totally fine. And as I said before, that, that I don't think the cost will be the problem. I think it's the other bureaucracy and things that people have to go through that will be the problem. And we're doing everything we can and throwing a bunch of money at KPMG Legal as well to try and sort of plug all those gaps where it's the typical things that stop organisations and their procurement folks. So I feel pretty good about that. Now, one thing that, that came up whilst we're doing all these terms and conditions, and I had an epiphany this morning, I woke up early and had a steam share and there's something about sitting there in the dark, not being at a device. I have all these good ideas. One of the, the things I'm a bit worried about is let's say you buy a one-year subscription like this school, one-year subscription, and you can query domains with up to 500 breached email addresses. You buy that one-year subscription today, something massive happens tomorrow, and now suddenly there's 600 breached accounts and their subscription is insufficient. I, I don't ever want to create a situation where people get surprised and disappointed because if they bought that subscription and then suddenly it stops working because their domain's gotten too big, that's not good. <laughs> that's just not a good look at all. <clears throat> Kaitat says, Steam Show already paying dividends. I'll, I'll come back to that because it is. It's, it's marvellous. I'll explain why. So... <clears throat> I don't want to have a situation where people paid for something and then they can no longer use it. I, I think not only is it just not cool, I think that could actually create trouble for us. So we need to be very, very careful about that. 
Mike's here. G'day, Mike. Thanks for joining. So um, what I want to do is when you take out a subscription and you have existing domains in your portal, and, and all that's there already. Everyone can go through. I launched the domain portal stuff, what, six weeks ago or something. You can go and add all your domains. If you have domains there, <clears throat> whatever size they are, when you take out the subscription, if they exceed that subscription level, you can still search for them during the subscription period. Now, there's a couple of... Why am I coughing so much today? <clears throat> there's a couple of important things about this. Number one, it means you can go and get a subscription and pay for whether it's a month or a year, be absolutely confident that everything you can do with that subscription today, you'll still be able to do on the last day of your subscription. I think that's really important. So regardless of breaches and sizes, that doesn't change. The other thing is, is it gives everyone a little bit of incentive to subscribe for a year. <laughs> because if you subscribe for a year, you're guaranteed that for the entire year, no matter how big your domains get, everything is still covered within whatever fee it is you've paid. And then my epiphany in the Steam Show this morning is, like, how am I going to do this? So what I've decided to do is, is when someone, at the moment, when you buy an API key, uh, payment is fulfilled in Stripe. Stripe does a web callback back to the web app and says, hey, this person has now successfully paid and it flags their record as then having a valid subscription through to whatever point it is in the future, either a month or a year from now. So what I need to do at that point is also go to the database and say, okay, for this person, if they're monitoring domains, how many breached accounts are on each domain? And then put that on their record. So it's like, hey, Troy, you're monitoring uh, five domains. Yeah, one of them's got three breached accounts. One of them's got 27, whatever it might be. I'm going to have to stamp that on the record. And every time they make a payment, I'm going to have to come back and go, this is the current state of the domains. No matter how big they get, this is what gets locked in and they still need to be able to search them. And then I've got to be able to explain that in a way that's not confusing. <laughs> so even just explaining it now, it's like, shit, I hope everyone's keeping up with this. So that's the way I'm going to do that. Just need another couple of columns on database table. So I think that'll work fine. And then the, the, only, the only thing, and I think we can wrap this up in terms and conditions, the only thing I don't feel 100% comfortable about is that if you've got an automatically renewing subscription and I say, okay, well, within that subscription period, you're guaranteed to still be able to search the domain, but then you renew for a new period and the domain is increased in size and the new subscription is insufficient, how do you know? I've got to think about that. Too. This does my head in some of this. Uh, now, same show thing. Shell <laughs> and I were in Vegas four years ago with um, with Scott and some other. We had a really good time. We were in Vegas and we stayed at Bellagio and we we had a very epic room that had a steam shower in it. And we we're like, how cool is this? Like, this is just. This is like, I, I like saunas as well. You get a sauna, you need to have a great big wooden box and it is just a sauna. But the steam shower, for the large part, is a shower with a few tweaks. So when we redid all of our ensuite here a couple of years ago, I'm writing a blog series about this too. Uh, we, we decided that we wanted to turn the existing shower, which was pretty much the right kind of layout, we want to turn it into a steam shower. And what we did is we made it just a little bit wider the requirements for a steam shower, the main things are you've got to have a door that can seal. So we got a door that 
there's a door on the other side which goes through the toilet, very, very similar, but this one just has a seal around it. You've got to have a slight rake, a gradient on the ceiling so that when water condenses, it doesn't just drip on you, it sort of goes down the end. So we, got, we did that, that wasn't hard. And then the actual steam shower unit. Uh, and that wasn't too, like it was a few thousand dollars or something like that from memory. So the whole steam shower all said and done wasn't a lot of money. And now there's like this room where particularly this morning I woke up at five something and I'd intended to sleep in a bit longer. But I get up and I turn the steam shower on and it's, it's mostly dark. I'm not looking at my device because I'm in the steam shower. And I think. And I think through these problems, and I have so many epiphanies just sitting there without distraction. Uh, and in fact, I need to do it more because I think I need some more epiphanies at the moment. So yeah, that that just gives me time to think about a problem without distractions of other things. And the only problem then is I can't write down my ideas. <laughs> like I have to keep them in my head till I get out and get dry. But Steam Share has been an excellent way of me working through problems like this. So look, that's where we're at at the moment. My my goal is I would really like to get this out in nine days from now. That is dependent on KPMG finishing up all the legal bits with all the t- changes in terms and conditions. There are other privacy and various other legally things that we need to try and get in place first. I have a, a gut feel we might push a week. Uh, I do want to launch on a Sunday simply so I can push everything out, watch it, does it break or not, and then Monday morning uh, send emails and announcements and things. So I will know when I do this video one week from now whether or not that's going to be feasible uh, on, was I planning, on August the 6th. Uh, Otherwise, it might be August the 13th. I really don't want to leave it any later than that because Charlotte and I are heading back to Europe for a few weeks at the end of August. And I, I just want to leave enough time for everything to settle down and we're not going away stressed about the cyber. So... That's how it says, I think you can get waterproof notepads marketed to be used in the shower. Yeah, look, I know you can, but all right. first of all, it's usually pretty dark in there, so I don't think that's going to work great. But also, it's just, I, I think it's probably good for my brain to just be away from that stuff and to be left with my own thoughts sometimes. Uh, yeah, so as Jim said, it's also in the dark. <laughs> so waterproof torch. I think we're just getting too far down that rabbit hole. I'm going to wrap it up there. I'm going to go and finish a bunch of this code. Uh, I'm getting very, very close. Uh, you won't see it, but probably today uh, the domain search via API will be pushed out. That'll be out there. That'll be in production. It won't be documented. Uh, you won't be able to use it, but at least I'll be able to use it and I'll be able to check that it's actually running stably and reliably. And hopefully by the time everything gets pushed out, it's already been there kind of running in the background and and it's it's good. So stay tuned for that. I'll share a lot more about that next week. Thanks for watching. See you then. I'm going to go check my brisket and post some photos later. See ya.